People would say to me, you're so lucky that you get to work remote. And I never felt lucky. I felt isolated. I felt distanced. I didn't feel part of the company culture in a sort of a guilty way. I'll say I was happy when everyone else went home to work because suddenly on the meetings, everyone was in the same little screen. Suddenly we were all on the same playing field and I didn't realize how much I would love that. And it really made my work life so much better. And then the thing I'll tell you, I learned about other people and I would say the world in general is that I need people to be doing what I'm doing and do, doing it with me. And I learned that we can do so much more with technology than I think we realize. Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your host, Mitch Simon, on the West Coast, where it is just absolutely lovely. And today our guest is on the East Coast. Today we're delighted to have Melissa Romo. She has more than 20 years experience at a, as a business leader for FTSE 100 and Fortune 500 companies and has spent more than a decade building, leading, and working in globally dispersed teams. She earned an MBA from the Yale School of Management, where she studied organizational behavior and leadership. Her new book is Your Resource is Human, How Empathetic Leadership Can Help Remote Teams Rise Above. There's the book. And you know how big we are here on remote teams. Thank you. People like Melissa make us very, very happy. So welcome, Melissa. How are you? I'm great. It's so good to be here, Mitch. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's so great to have you here. So as you know, it's been a tumultuous three years um, as we've navigated this social experience called COVID and hybrid and virtual and dispersed. What have you learned about yourself and about people during this the last three years? Yeah, well, I've learned about, about myself. I've learned that um, I was... I, I, in a sort of a guilty way, I'll say I was happy when everyone else went home to work because I had been remote for six years before, uh, or four years before COVID started. And then COVID started and suddenly on the meetings, everyone was in the same little screen. It wasn't me trying to hear what was happening in a conference room somewhere and all the sidebar conversations and things happening before the meeting or after the meeting that I was left out of. Suddenly we were all on the same playing field. And I didn't realize how much I would love that. Um, the fact that everybody was starting to learn the tools of how to use the video, how to use the chat, um, how to work asynchronously. I mean, these are things that I had been doing for years, and now the whole rest of the world was starting to learn how to do them with me, and it really made my work life so much better. And then the thing I'll tell you I learned about other people, and I would say the world in general, is isn't it astounding what we what we learn technology can enable? I mean, you can now get mental health treatment on your computer, wherever you are, right? You can get, you can do that with a Zoom. 
you you can i've i've been to events that are virtual i've had seen presentations that are virtual i've given presentations that are virtual so um, think of the travel that has we've reduced right because we're using the technology um and even doctors appointments for my children we've done consultations you know with zoom and i mean the amount of time that saves me not having to take my my child to the doctor every single time if it's just a you know cold or something is is amazing so I learned that I need people to be doing what I'm doing and do, doing it with me. And I learned that we can do so much more with technology than I think we realized. That's beautiful. You're a cheerleader for remoteness. So I am. This is great. I am. Yeah, but if you do it right, if you do it right, you do it right. to do it wrong. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about, about your background and how you became so passionate about both human resources and doing it remotely like what what, what led up to let up led up to um you writing this book yeah well as i said i'd been a remote person working for a multinational company since the start of 2017 and what i did not really appreciate is only two percent of the workforce in the world was working like i was right which was fully 100 percent remote um, it, it was not very common, um, it, not for working for companies. There are lots of people who freelancers work that way, but working for a company that way was very, very unusual. And I didn't know that I was alone in this so much. I really didn't appreciate. Um, and so what what really led me to write the book was when when I, especially when COVID started, and but even right before people would say to me you're so lucky that you get to work remote and i never felt lucky i never felt lucky i felt isolated i felt um distanced i didn't feel part of the company culture um you know i i felt all these things that felt bad and but then people thought i was lucky and so i was thinking is something wrong with me that <laughs> i don't think i'm lucky um and so the book was you know, really a, a, a meditation and an introspection on what was I going through and was, is there any data and empirical evidence behind what I was feeling and experiencing or was it just an isolated case for me? And so I really use the book as an opportunity to research um, human behavior in remote situations. I researched uh, workplace psychology. I workplace leadership norms. I did a lot of research on emotional intelligence and why emotions are, su are such great connectors because you don't need to be in the same place to connect with an emotion. And that's what's so amazing, right? If, if you and I can have a moment together where I'm I'm putting myself in your shoes and I'm, I'm empathizing with you and experiencing what you're going through. We connect in such a deep way and we don't need to be in a building. Right. So, um, what it all led me to the book, right. It's just really trying to understand my own personal experience and the empirical evidence around it. And then, and then what do you do as a leader, given that, like, how do you, what, what everyone has asked me about, and when I say everyone, I mean sort of my peer group who are middle, middle and senior managers, what they've all asked me is, how do I bring my team together? How do I knit my team together? How do I have a great culture? I want, I want everyone to feel connected. And we're, we're in 25 different locations. How do I do that? This book answers that question. That's, that's, that's a great claim. You know what? I want to start then with emotions. Mm -hmm. I want to start with um, what you found in your research around emotions. And the reason why I asked it is because I found that in the last three years, 
most of my work has focused on emotions. And I, I didn't come from it from a research standpoint. I just came from it from, oh, every time I bring up emotions, it seems to do, it seems to do really well and I get really good feedback. So what is it about emotions and the necessity um, to connect emotions when we're in a remote setting or, or perhaps in any setting? Yeah, well, I, I should mention that my book is dedicated to a wonderful woman uh, named Sigal Barsaid, who was a professor at Yale when I was in business school. She was my organizational behavior professor. And then when I left Yale, she went to Wharton and she uh, did research at Wharton. And she uh, did two really important pieces of research. One is around something she called emotional contagion. And emotional contagion is the idea that we can actually infect each other with emotions, right? If I'm happy, I can infect you with that happiness and you'll feel happy. If I'm sad, same thing will happen. And what's really interesting is that leaders are more susceptible to being infected than workers are, right? So leaders actually pick up emotional vibes much more than the other way around. And so... As a leader, you know, it's so important your team feels good and is motivated because that's where you get your motivation from. And that's where you will get your happiness from is that team. And she oh, say, that, of- say that again. <laughs> that, I, that is blows me away. Say that again. So leaders are more susceptible to emotional contagion than workers are. So you as a leader, you know, imagine that you're you have a you know compromised immune system as a leader right that's your that's the truth for about you in a in a workplace setting and so you derive your emotions from the people working for you and so you really want to take care of them you want them to be motivated and happy and upbeat and you want them to be energized and and, and innovative and because you're going to get all of that from them right and so that that was a really important thing that she researched and she she did it across you know, a lot of um, uh, statistically significant samples. And if you look up Sigal Barsaid and emotional contagion, um, she's got some videos about this. You'll see it all. The second thing she um, researched, which is also important to this book, um, is uh, is the idea of compa- companionate love in the workplace. And this sounds like I'm talking about being in love with people at the work in the workplace, which is not what I'm talking about. Companionate love is the is the affection that people feel with each other in a in a platonic sense, right? It isn't romantic love, it isn't sexual love. It's just that that connection and that affection that we feel for each other when we work closely together. And she did these fascinating studies, um, especially in in more typically male settings. Like she studied a fire a group of firemen in a firehouse, and she found that when the characteristics of companionate love were present meaning the way they communicated with each other, the way they feel about each other, when those characteristics were present, there was more personal accountability amongst them. There was more personal accountability. There were better outcomes, um, better, better in a business sense, better business performance. And she was able to tie that to love in the workplace. And I, these two pieces of research, I cannot tell you how important they are to us now that we are recovering from COVID we are working in more distributed ways, whether it's hybrid or remote or whatever, but we're, we're distanced from each other. We went through this real hard period called the Great Resignation where people just gave up on work, right, in huge numbers. Um, there's, there's an epidemic of disengagement still, right? So 
we're in this environment that's really, really difficult, we have to look back at some of these basics that Sigal Barsaid researched around companionate love and emotional contagion and realize the power that emotions have to connect us and help actually drive business outcomes. And, you know, really very sadly, she, um, I looked her up when I started writing this book and she passed away from a brain tumor in February of 2022, right as I was starting to write this book. So that is why I dedicated this book to her. Um, we needed someone like her in these years of coming out of COVID. And unfortunately we yeah. don't have her, but I would really encourage everyone to look up her research. Um, and, and I touch on, uh, lots of it in my, um, in my book. So I've got two, uh, two questions, Melissa, and companionate love. I, I haven't heard of that before, but I do, I have heard of, but not that, I haven't heard it that much, but I have heard about love and work and love in the workplace. Love Plus Work is a, a book by Marcus Buckingham. So companionate love, what are the actions that she found when she was researching? What are the things that, that, that she found are the behaviors that then derive that greater accountability. And does it work in a virtual setting? Cause you know, firemen can't work virtually. Fires right. don't care. No, so the, no, no, the, no. Yeah. the, you know, can these behaviors, do they have as much like love impact? Yeah. Uh, yeah. When it is, when you're virtual. Yeah. Well, this, this is where, um, empathy is so important. And, um, I, I asked myself that exact question. Okay, how 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 can companionate love be a tool and a solution in a, in a time when we're working apart from each other? And what I what I did was um, empathy is putting yourself in someone else's shoes, right? That's the definition of empathy. The reason that you empathize is so that you can take compassionate action right? That's why you empathize. You can do something and take compassionate action. And in fact, it's really uncomfortable when we empathize and we can't take compassionate action. I mean, whenever there's, you know, a tragedy that hits the headlines and we empathize with the people suffering that tragedy, but we don't know them. We're not in that community. We don't know what action to take. It's really, I mean, I'm somebody who really suffers just this you know, real down moment when I'm empathizing, but I can't take compassionate action. So, so empathy is there to take compassionate action. So when you think of a remote worker, one of the things I talk about, for example, I talk about the five pitfalls of remote work and they're, they're boredom, guilt, um, boredom, guilt, loneliness, paranoia, and depression. So they're pretty heavy. <laughs> Those are heavy. Yeah. They're pretty heavy. Yeah. I told my publisher, I said, the first five chapters are boredom, guilt, paranoia, loneliness, and depression. Do you think people really? want to read this? That's, those are the chapters? <laughs> those are the first five chapters. Yeah. The first five chapters. And, you know, they're, they're really about opening, opening the lid on what does it feel like to work remotely, you know, especially if you're a hundred percent remote. I mean, these are really things to think about, but even if you're hybrid, like what does that feel like if you don't see your workmates, uh, you know, every single day, you know, every five days a week. And so I open these up and I go into the evidence around each of them. And for example, paranoia is just a, you know, it's a, it's a heavy word, but really yeah. it's that feeling that you're out of sight and you're out of mind, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And anyone who works remotely will relate to this. It's like, you're thinking to yourself, 
what meeting is happening and I'm not in it? Who, what are people saying about me? What is my personal brand in the company? Like it's really, really tough to get a read on these things. And so it creates behaviors connected to paranoia that are, you know, they're not, they're not like clinical or anything, but we, we start compensating, right? We start, we start staying online later. We start coming online earlier. We start volunteering for any and everything we can come up with. We start, we allow scope creep, right? We want to be in every single meeting, right? So in that chapter, I write about the fact that leaders need to be cautious. And if they see, I talk about empathy scans, and this is this that what you do is observe, right? The first step to feeling empathy is observing the person. If you're observing the person, allow scope creep and volunteer for everything and want to be in every single meeting, you've got to ask yourself, okay, this person is uh, feeling out of sight, out of mind. And what I recommend in the book, each of these five pitfalls has an emotional counterpoint. And so the emotional counterpoint to paranoia is clarity. So as a leader, what you need to do is give that person or that team clarity. That means think about how you're communicating as a leader. What are you communicating as a leader? How frequently are you communicating as a leader? Do people have the information they need to feel like they have full visibility of, of, of what's going on in the business, right? And you need to communicate more as a remote leader than when you're all in a building together. You just, you have to communicate more and frequently and often. And, you know, one of the things I do just as a, as an ingrained habit now is we have a Teams chat for my team and we have a little channel that's called taking a break. So we have a bunch of different channels depending on the kind of major streams of work in the team, but we have one channel called taking a break. Every morning I go into taking a break and there'll be someone adopted a puppy, someone's got, someone got engaged, someone's moving house, someone has a vacation coming up, someone went volunteering, and they'll be posting these pictures and everybody will be commenting. I comment on everything. I comment on everything they post there and I share my own things too. You know, I share what's happening in my life. My child graduated from high school and I put pictures. That's where we get to know each other is in that channel. And I make sure that they hear from me, right? It, no matter what's on there, I make sure that I, I stop, I put an emoji or I put a comment or what, that they hear from me and that I'm present on that chat. So um, I don't remember where we started with this question, but um, leaders, leaders can use emotions, right? In the case of clarity, that, clarity is not quite an emotion, but it's more a mindset. I talk about, the, I talk about these five um, power mindsets of a strong remote team and their clarity, belonging, meaning, joy, and faith. And so they're, they're mindsets. And as a leader, you want to be constantly thinking about how can I make my team have these mindsets and, and work in these mindsets and get, and get that from me as a leader. And the book goes into each of those mindsets in, in the later chapters after, after the fun ones up front goes into right, the fun, yes. the fun ones goes into those mindsets and explains how to create them. Hey, we're taking a quick break to remind you to support our podcast by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a review. Your feedback means the world to us and it helps us continue to bring you more engaging and thought-provoking content for leadership and remote work. Let's talk about, we probably don't have time to talk about all of them, but I am very intrigued with belonging. Yeah. So tell me about what was, what, is, what was the dark side of belonging and then how do you create 
belonging? Yeah, the the dark side of belonging is being on the outside looking in, right? Um, and it, you know, it's it's like a cousin to paranoia of feeling like you know you're out of sight, out of mind, but also not you're not. There's a party happening and you're not there, right? And this was really hard before COVID when I was mm -hmm. working remotely, but pretty much everyone else that I worked with was in an office building somewhere for the company, all in a conference room, having drinks after work, having lunch together, pizza in the office, all this kind of stuff. So um, the belonging, the gap in belonging is seeing all that. Like, you, you know, you'll see it on social media. Oh, we had a pizza lunch or we did this volunteer day or whatever. You see all that and you're a remote worker and you're not part of it. And so you really feel, you, you feel distanced and that that's a really uncomfortable feeling. What I really like about this, the solution though, is it's not what you think. The way to get people to feel like they belong is to manage their performance. And the reason that this is that this is the mindset, you know, is um, is creating um, uh, this is the leadership behavior. Sorry, to create this mindset of belonging. The reason uh, the reason that it's managing performance is because think of that emotion you get when you if you ever did a field day in school or something, and you did like a tat, you know, a relay race, let's say, with five people, for, you know, and you all pass the baton, and then at the end you win. And you celebrate that win with those four other people. And accomplishing something with other people in a team is one of the quickest ways to belonging, right? Is, is I did that, and I did that with Sally, Joe, and Mary, right? The, you know, the four of us did it. And right there, you, you click, and you create this belonging. And there's visibility also, right? I've done something with these three other people, and suddenly everyone knows it. They're seeing me do it. Um, and I and I feel that sense of belonging from achieving from my achievements and and this is you know this is an important behavior leadership behavior managing performance because I was I have to say Mitch I was shocked when COVID started and you know I'm in the New York City area and I would ask again I would ask my peers what since when was the last time you talked to your manager and months would have gone by that they never talked to their manager once and I was thinking to myself where are these managers and do they even yes. know what people are doing, even know what people are doing, right? Like they even know what people are doing. So it, it's not about micromanaging and it's not about being a helicopter manager, but you need to know what your people are doing. And more importantly, you need to know when they're accomplishing things. And when they're accomplishing things, you need to make a lot of noise about it because that's where they will drive their belonging. I want to talk about joy. Mm. Call me crazy. What, so what's the dark side of joy and how do you create joy and why is it so darn important? Yeah, gosh, it's really important. So the dark side of joy is depression. And I, I really struggled with using the word depression because depression is a clinical term. And I'm not saying that people who work remotely are depressed. That's not really quite the issue. But when you're remote, you have a lot of time by yourself and remote people are prone to rumination, right? Because mm -hmm. something can be happening. And as soon as I turn off my call, my Zoom call, and I'm in my kitchen by myself or whatever, I have time to think about my life, something that's happening in my life, something I'm worried about. Um, I personally, I, I write about this in the book. I went through a breast cancer diagnosis um, during COVID. And 
not only was I really distanced from my workmates, but I didn't even see friends either. And it even got to the point, because we didn't have a vaccine for COVID, it even got to the point where I couldn't see my family. My doctor said, mm. you just need to be completely isolated because if wow. you get COVID, it'll affect your treatment and you can't get COVID. So I was, ext I was like in solitary confinement. I mean, yeah. that's what it felt like while, while I was being treated for cancer. And so what, ha what happens in that kind of situation is you just have a lot of time to ruminate and worry and think about the worst case scenario and all of this kind of stuff. And so this happens on a lighter scale to people who work on their own in their homes or in a remote location on a lighter scale. They just have time to ruminate. And so where joy comes in, if, if, if you can create a work environment where the person can, when they know, when they wake up in the morning, when they log in, it's, it's going, there's going to be joy waiting for them. Right. And this is why I go to that taking a break channel. I go to that taking a break channel and I see someone's cute puppy or I see someone's kid who just had a birthday or I, you know, someone has something, a big trip coming up and they're, you know, excited about it. Or somebody took a walk on the beach by their house. Right. And they just posted a picture of it from the morning. I know there's joy waiting for me. And so that's one of the reasons that I wanted to have that taking a break channel. And I encouraged my team to just share anything you want to share, anything at all. It's everything is, is, is open um, because there's joy there. That's, you know, we're, we're sharing each other's joy with each other. And when you ask my team, what really makes us different and makes the team feel good, they say it's, it's, it's caring for each other and having a good time and just feeling joy. Um, and so, you know, it's a very, it's a, it's a creative act to create joy at work. Right. And, and I, and I have had long debates with other executives about the fact that it's not the company's place to make you happy. <laughs> right. Like you, you show up, you get your job done and, and things like that. I just don't agree. I think we, we spend too much time at work um, to not be joyful about it. And we are actually, I write about, um, a, there's a great book called Joy at Work from a professor at Cambridge. And, I, right. and I, I quote a little bit from him in my book. And he talked about how when you're, jo when you're feeling joyful, it, it, you have all of these um, curiosity sensors that kind of you know, trip. And you, you become a, an information seeker and you become a curious person. And curious people who are information seekers are good problem solvers and they innovate, right? So there are business reasons that you want people to feel joyful. It's not just, you know, to skip down the hallway. Um, you, you want better performance out of them and you get it through joy. It's so, it, thank you so much. It's so interesting because, you know, we hear a lot of, um, for innovation, we need mm -hmm. people to be in a room together and you're coming at it from a different place. No, you want innovation, go create joy. You want innovation, go create happiness. You want, in you want innovation, um, let people know how great they're doing. Yeah. Manage performance. Yeah. Manage performance. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, their, you know, their, their brains are, I'm either away or I'm together. Yeah. And they're not seeing this middle segment, which is going to really create happy, productive, innovative, creative employees. Yeah. Yeah. So There's they need to get your way. book. They need my What's book. the third There's, way? 
The th- well, the third way is my book. The third way is Of my course book. it is. So it's it, your book. So it isn't. What? So it, see that, it is Let's see book. that book again. <laughs> yes. It isn't. We have to go in. It isn't. We have to all stay home. It, there's 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 a way down the middle. You know, like we we can we can work in distri- and I, I I prefer the word distributed work to remote okay. work because remote work makes it makes us sound isolated from each other. And mm-hmm. what it what's really more true is we're distributed. I mean, I I run a global team right now. I'm in New York. I'm outside of New York City. And you know what? Even if I went into my company's office in New York City, I am working with people in Paris and in London Mm -hmm. and in Madrid and in Los Angeles and in South Africa. I mean, I'm still distributed, right? Even if I'm in the building, (laughs) I'm still distributed. And I still have to connect with people over huge distances. There's 40,000 miles that 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 you could draw a string from the furthest most point of all the people in my team and it's the string would be 40,000 miles long right two and a, like a time and a half around the earth i think so mm-hmm. we're really distributed and and if you think about where business is right now businesses are asking for people to do more with less they're asking for teams to globalize they're asking for teams to scale and that means you need teams that can be loca- distributed and run from one location, but distributed everywhere so that they're scalable. And that's, I mean, that's been my career, right? I've been doing that and doing that and doing that. And so what's interesting about this book is it's whether remote work exists or not is kind of incidental to this book. It's actually about distributed teams and how those distributed teams feel really well connected. And I, and I should say, I wanted to say something to you about innovation and being in person. Yes. So there is a a fabulous white paper called The Brainstorming Myth, and you can Google it and the PDF will come right up. The Brainstorming Myth. This was a paper done in the 80s or 90s. It was a while ago. And it was um, basically what they found was that putting people in a room is how you get the worst outcomes in brainstorming right? It is how you get the worst outcomes. And even though this paper exists and it was done, it was done by some very smart person. I can't remember where Stanford or something done by a very smart person with a lot of empirical evidence. We have chosen to ignore it and we still put everyone in a room. (laughs) Um, And there's, there's a lot of reasons why it gives us our worst outcomes, but you know, one of them is something called production blocking. There are these psychological terms in the white paper that you'll read about, but one of them is called production blocking. And we've all experienced this. This is when you've got people in a room, there'll be loud people and there Mm -hmm. will be quiet people, right? And the loud people will block the quiet people. Even though they don't mean to, they just are excited and they have a lot of ideas and they're very vocal. And, and, and I'm, I'm one of the loud people. So I'm one of those people. And then you'll have five or 10 people who just say almost nothing. Right. And now this is called production blocking. When you put people in a room, that's what you're going to get. And so there's also another one I love called social loafing. And that's where if you imagine you have one person tugging on a rope, you add a second person, you add a third person, you add a fourth person, logically you'd pull that rope further right but what what has happened in scientific studies is that each time you add a person the rope gets pulled a little bit less and it's because each person on the rope thinks someone else on the rope is pulling wow right so these dynamics are present when we're all in a room together innovating (laughs) 
And for those so, who are listening uh, as the yeah. audible, innovating was mm. with air quotes. Yes, it was air, air quotes. So get that, read that white paper, The Brainstorming Myth. You can Google it. It's, it's open source. It's a PDF. It'll pop right up. And um, the, the whole thing about how we have to get everybody together to be innovative is just not, has not proven out by the empirical science around the psychology of brainstorming at all. Melissa, you have a tremendous wealth of knowledge, <laughs> but especially in this area. So how can we find you and how can we get your book? So my book is available everywhere books are sold. You can buy it on Amazon or ask for it at your bookseller. And I'll hold it up one more time. It's called Your Resource is Human. And it's a, it's a quick little read and it has two diagnostic tests in it, the, uh, an emotions and mindset questionnaire that will help you know what, how you're feeling and it will help the people in your team know how they're feeling about remote work. And then there is something called the remote ready rating. That's another diagnostic that helps you see where you are in terms of being ever a really good remote leader. So those are both in the book and then lots of discussion starters and um, leadership blueprints to help you become a better hybrid remote and distributed leader. So Great. the book is available everywhere. I um, I am on LinkedIn, Melissa T. Bromo, and you'll see my book all over my profile. So you know Great. you found me. You know you found me, but I welcome anyone to follow me. I will comment on the topics of the day, and I uh, publish a newsletter that I share links to in LinkedIn. So anyone wants to follow me in LinkedIn, feel free. And I'm on Instagram as at Romo writer, and I periodically do book giveaways on Instagram. And it's a bit more about my life behind the scenes. So if people are interested in my writing life, they're, ha they're welcome to follow me at Romo writer on Instagram. That's a lot. Okay, great. LinkedIn, yeah. Instagram, LinkedIn, Instagram, and buy my Get, book on Amazon. Find your or book you and buy want. your book. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a thin yeah. one, everybody. It's a thin book. Them. Yeah. Quick read. Thank you. Melissa, this has been just sensational. This has been really, um, tons of good information, both research-based as well as what to do with your remote team. So thank you so much. I don't know how we found you, but I am so glad we found you. So thank I'm you so, so glad much. I'm here. Yes, yeah. So it was so great to be on. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Great. You're welcome. And so please, if you're on a remote team or you know people on a remote team or you know people who know people on a remote team, share this episode by her book, by Melissa's book, um, with your friends, your family, your colleagues. And we'll see you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere. Before we sign off for today, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your support helps us grow. And by subscribing, you'll be the first to know when our exciting next episode is available.